Welcome to the Being Known Podcast with my friend, Dr. Kurt Thompson. And my friend, Pepper Sweeney. We are here to discover and explore what it means to be truly known. Mm-hmm. Hey, Kurt. Hey, Pep. Good to you be with you. You too, always. Today's episode, season eight, episode eight, is entitled Surprised by Beauty. And if you are watching on YouTube right now, you are being surprised by beauty because we have our very first (laughs) guest here with us ever on the Being Known podcast. We're very excited to have this conversation with Sean Groves. Sean is a pastor and a Compassion International ambassador since 2005. His story and getting involved with Compassion is very compelling. And we, Amy and I had a conversation with Sean a few weeks ago, and uh, Sean actually brought the idea to us of being surprised by beauty. And we've built this episode around that today, and we are really excited to jump right in. So welcome, Sean. Thanks. Thanks. I didn't realize that was the first guest you've ever had. I just thought it was extremely rare. No, we've we have never wow. we've never had a guest. What, yeah, man, so, what an honor. Uh, and you may never again. We'll see how this goes. <laughs> <laughs> Not yeah. based on what you're gonna say, but based on how we're gonna handle the the interview process. Uh, exactly. Yeah. So right. go ahead, Kurt. Well, and and just to um, follow on to that, you know, uh, our listeners maybe may remember that a couple months ago, Pepper, you and I were able to have, we had the chance to go to El Salvador, and we even there, uh, in our encounters with so many different things, uh, our in- encounters with with the children, with the ministries, with the folks through compassion, the folks through the church, there were so many moments where we were surprised mm. by these beautiful moments of interaction, these beautiful moments of service, these beautiful moments of literally compassion that we were watching unfold right before our very eyes. And, you know, so Sean, as we get started with this, and before we dive deeply into this element of surprise, we'd like to get a picture of how your work began with Compassion. We'd love to hear more about that. Yeah, I I was actually a recording artist um, many, many years ago in my early 20s. And I'd been doing that for about five years. And I had this particularly large show. It was in the Netherlands. It was in this the largest soccer arena that they have. And I remember feeling that I was at the apex of what I could do as a musician. I was never going to play for a larger group of people. It was such a thrill to hear that many people singing back to me and laughing at the jokes and applauding. And I thought, you know, it doesn't get better than this. Like, this is the kind of thing that I've been dreaming of. This moment is the kind of moment I've been dreaming of since I was a nerdy saxophone player in the middle school band. Like, someday people will appreciate me. And here I was. I had reached really the apex of what people in Nashville are dreaming of. And I was surprised at how empty it felt that there was some part of me that it did satisfy, but there was a deeper part that was still longing for something else. And so I came back from that tour and I was sharing this with my wife and with a mentor and we just began to pray, um, what's next? What What is missing? 
And a friend of mine who worked for Compassion International, her name was Susie, she called around that time and said, hey, I'm taking a trip to El Salvador. I'd really like you to go with me and see the work Compassion does. I think you're supposed to speak for Compassion International at your concerts. And I said, Susie, I do not have time <laughs> for globetrotting. I am praying for God to show me the next step in life. <laughs> so I told Susie no for a long, long time. And finally, you know, she's one of those friends you finally just say yes just so that she'll shut up. And so I did. I said, okay, fine. Fine. I'll go with you to El Salvador. And it was in El Salvador that I met a child that our family sponsors. Her name was Johnsy. She was six years old. And I remember at the end of a long day with Johnsy, her falling asleep on my lap with her sweaty forehead mm-hmm. pressed up against my chest. I remember brushing the hair out of her eyes and just cradling her like I cradle my own daughter. And it was the closest I've come to hearing God's voice. It was just a very deep certainty that this was what God had for me next. And I did come home and begin speaking for Compassion at my concerts, but I had opportunities to speak for Compassion at other people's concerts, and then at churches, and then at colleges, and at conferences. And I, I really ended up moving away from the guitar and the piano and singing to just speaking. And so I did that for 17 years, for 17 years, just being an advocate for children like Johnsey. And I am still looking back at that, so surprised at the path my life Mm. took (laughs) because Mm. of the surprise Mm. I discovered in El Salvador. What a beautiful story. Thank you, Sean, for sharing that. I mean, that's, that's, uh, that's, that's really, talk about beauty. And, and I can just the way you painted that picture of her being in your in your lap with your head on your chest and everything, which is absolutely gorgeous. And I'm sure that, that everyone could picture you in that moment there. One of the things that you had shared with me and Amy when we were talking is that your own pain gives you eyes to see the particular beauty of the work of compassion. Mm. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, it, it seems to me that when I've encountered beauty, I'm surprised at the joy I experience in it. But if I stare at the beauty long enough, it seems to connect with me at a deep level of my own pain as well. And I I struggle to put words to that, but it's it's this strange paradox, right? Of like, it stirs up this latent joy in me (laughs) to experience Mm -hmm. beauty, but it also is connected to some sort of deep pain. As, as I've worked with younger people, in particular uh, folks in their 20s who are just beginning to figure out, you know, ask the question, what do I want to be <laughs> when I grow up? Mm-hmm. I often tell mm-hmm. them to pay attention to your own pain. I, I, I find that mm-hmm. my greatest passions seem to be connected to my own pain. Mm-hmm. So for me, mm-hmm. that was the work of compassion, the beauty of it connects with the pain of being, I'm picturing myself at eight years old. I'm lying in bed. I can hear through the thin walls of our house, my mother trying to cry quietly at the kitchen table and my father in his low baritone voice comforting her as they push envelopes around on the kitchen table trying to figure out which bill can we pay and which one can we put off. Mm -hmm. I remember coming to them with a field trip permission slip from school and being told I wouldn't be able to go because they couldn't afford the fee. Wanting to play soccer, but we didn't have money for the uniform. Sometimes coming home into a house where the that was dark, the electricity had been turned off. 
sometimes noticing my mom skipping a meal, maybe so that my sister and I would be able to eat. And I wouldn't say that we were poor in the true sense of the world, word economically, but there was certainly uncertainty and scarcity. Mm-hmm. And it mm-hmm. created in me a mm-hmm. deep anxiety about mm-hmm. my future. It mm-hmm. shaped what my dreams were in life, that I wanted mm-hmm. to become wealthy. And that's where mm-hmm. I was really mm-hmm. setting my hopes. Like it shaped me in some mm-hmm. profound ways. Yeah. So to yeah. see the work of compassion, to see kids who are no longer experiencing scarcity, but have security, <laughs> who are no longer mm-hmm. experiencing that level of anxiety, but they have a confidence that they are known and loved and cared for, that they're going to have a mm-hmm. meal to eat that day, that if they get sick, there will be a doctor, a dentist, a nurse, a counselor. Mm-hmm. Like that mm-hmm. lights me up inside. That gives me this mm-hmm. incredible joy. But because I know what it's like not to have that, um, mm. it connects with me at a very deep mm. level. Yeah. You know, Sean, what you're describing, I remember I was in my, was in my very first office. And the only thing that was in the office was a desk. And at the time, we, we had like these rent-a-chairs. Mm-hmm. So uh, when pe- people will now just call them, hey, where, where, why do you, did you did, do we have the 12-step chairs? Like there are these, these standard <laughs> chairs that we know that are in every church basement. Yeah. And those are the chairs that we had because we were still waiting for office furniture to show mm-hmm. up. So I had a, a desk and rent-a-chairs and I had nothing else in the office except for Rembrandt's Return of the Prodigal Son mm. that, was over, that was over my desk. And I remember one of within the in the it was in the it was the first one of the first patients that that I had that came into the room. A woman sat in one of these you know this very stark office, 1998. Sat in one of these rented chairs, and we start to talk. And I'm sitting kind of at my desk, looking at her across the room, not not very far across the room. And she her gaze turns to the painting. And her gaze gets fixed on it, and she begins to weep. Hmm. And we're like seven minutes into a conversation. And it was this moment that was fixed in my memory about how beauty, like, finds us in ways that we don't expect it to. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you... Like it, it's it's really striking to me. I'm like I'm I'm sitting here feeling this notion of we you know you come around you come around the corner on the hike and you see the landscape or the sunset or you come up onto the south rim. I've said this many times of the Grand Canyon or you see you know some paint you see something you hear a piece of music and at first the startle is of like when when the brain startles. Uh, the startle response is is just simply that. It is a response that prepares the brain for something. Mm-hmm. The startle could be of something actually dangerous. Mm-hmm. And so there is a and, and this nano to microsecond lag time between mm-hmm. our startle that's, you know, for, for little babies, it could be like the entire body jumps, right? Mm-hmm. But for us, it's maybe this internal mm-hmm. sense of, oh my gosh, I'm being caught off guard. And there is this lag time while the rest of our mind tries to catch up, and as it does so, the if it's if it is if, when it's true beauty, it strikes us and we are overwhelmed, 
and there is joy and celebration in our hearts. We we talk here about beauty being this you know a wonder, right? I'm I'm captivated mm-hmm. by. It. But then there's this welcome, right? That it, it it invites us. There's this hospitality. But to your point, from a neurobiological standpoint, if we allow ourselves to be in the presence of beauty long enough. You know, we'd like to think, oh, I want to go to see the painting, and I'm going to see the painting on my terms. <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going, I'm going to hold the child on my lap on mm. my terms. Mm. I'm provide, like I am going to enter into this. I'm in charge of this encounter. And very quickly, we come to find that in the material world, and as this, you know, this, this the Swiss Catholic theologian Hans von Balthasar used to talk about, like that beauty is not an attribute of God. It's like, oh, God's beautiful. Mm-hmm. Like we talk about pepper, which is true. <laughs> okay. okay. It's, it, beauty isn't, it, like, th- like beauty, like it, if you're in God's presence, you're in the presence of beauty. Mm-hmm. It's just, it is just eminent. It is, it is not a feature of him. Beauty is, like that's what beauty comes from. And the thing about God is that God comes to us and wants to welcome us, mm-hmm. wants us to be caught in wonder. And he doesn't stop there, right? Beauty, if we are with it long enough, will come. It will circumvent my defenses. Mm -hmm. It will circumvent all my plans. It will circumvent the parts of me that are here on my terms Mm -hmm. and just want to enjoy beauty on my terms. And it will will work around all of those left hemispheric ways that Mm -hmm. I have of deciding how we're going to do this. And it will find my grief Mm -hmm. because you know it's like Mm. you know uh the woman in john in in mark five who comes with a bleeding problem Mm. she comes and she has a plan Mm -hmm. for how she's going to how she's going to encounter beauty beauty has the possibility of healing me and i have a plan for how this is going to happen and she gets it done and she figures that's all i need and then it stops and it comes to find her grief it doesn't just come to find her medical malady. It comes to find her grief about never being called daughter, about not being part of a family, never being a wife, not being a mother, mm-hmm. all those things. And I'm, as you're telling this story, like it, it's just striking me about how we like to think that beauty is just only one thing, that it's just really a beautiful thing. And it's always mm-hmm. only good as if like we get to be in charge of it. But you're describing an experience in which when you allow yourself enough time with it, it comes to find you in ways like it finds those old aches. Yeah, it's 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 capricious and untamed and savage and storms the gates of my best defenses. And for me, oh. my defenses were I'm going to be famous enough and have fortune enough that I can no longer be hurt. And instead, yeah, right. instead of finding strength in fame or fortune, I found healing among those mm-hmm. we would consider to be the weakest and least fortunate. And yeah. I can't yeah. make a lot of logical sense about that. I couldn't have planned and executed that my own. I couldn't have planned and executed my own healing. It right. simply found me, surprised yeah. me, and climbed mm. over the gates of my defenses to bring to me <laughs> what I really desperately <laughs> needed. And that is oh. shocking and beautiful. And, <laughs> and I want everyone to experience that. 
It's one yeah. of the one uh, of the things that I struggle with as a father who can now provide for my own kids in a way that they don't feel a lot of pain. I wonder mm-hmm. what that does for them actually later in life. Will they be able to find a passion as great as the one I found having not experienced the pain that I've experienced? Yeah. And 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 I and I, yeah. I it's a legitimate I'm just being vulnerable with you guys. It's a concern of mine that actually mm-hmm. the the safety mm-hmm. and the security that my own family now experiences is that mm-hmm. somehow mm-hmm. while that's obviously good and beautiful and wonderful and reminiscent of the garden, right? Does it also in some way rob them of the heartache that leads to truly a passionate heart as a grown-up? But I trust God will pursue them with a passion and in its own way. I guess it doesn't have to always come through pain, does it? Well, you know, this thing that you're speaking of, we witnessed so much when we were in El Salvador, um, and we talked about it. Kurt and I would would meet at the end of the day every day and sort of discuss everything that we had witnessed, everything mm-hmm. that we saw. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this wonderful, uh, I, I guess I use the word dependence mm-hmm. on the church, This mm-hmm. the, the inter, interwoven part of their mm-hmm. lives with mm-hmm. the church mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. I think can maybe be stolen by affluence that you, that you speak of or mm-hmm. can at least be hindered mm-hmm. by it if we're, if we're not careful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, as a... As a yeah, just as a pastor today, I, I run into that a lot. A lot of folks who reach their 20s, 30s, and they have, we have tended to approach God as the God of the gaps. Like when I can't, I go to God because God can. Or we've, I, I've done this, preached the Bible as a book of solutions to your felt problems. But what happens when you are a person who is affluent and healthy and thriving and there isn't a problem for which that you perceive you need God for? then it, it's something I don't have the answer to. But as a pastor, something I struggle with every day. How do we even mm-hmm. portray God as a God who's not just mm-hmm. the God of your problems? <laughs> but as a, yeah. Right. Well, you know, it's, it's funny. Um, Pepper and Amy and I, we, we've reflected on, on, on our trip and just recognizing how our having been on the trip itself mm-hmm. uh, really put a, put a material world stamp mm-hmm. on our hearts mm-hmm. about the way the world is for most of the world, in fact, mm-hmm. for many who are in the world. Mm-hmm. And which is why we came back being so uh, energized about the work of compassion. And we want our Being Known podcast community to be involved in that. And to our, you know, what we're talking about here, people who our listeners might be here, they say, oh, this is a good idea and so forth. But like, you know, our affluence distracts us and we move on. Sure. Because we, and and not that we're all skeptical of this work, but um, you know, I, I I think there there is there may be those who are like, yeah, but maybe is it really worth that much to how, what what can you know fifty bucks a month, forty three dollars, whatever whatever our, what what can that really do? All those kinds of things. I I know that you at least from in our conversation with with Pepper and Amy that that there was parts of you that might have been skeptical mm. about this yeah. work at one time, and what what transitioned you. I mean, we we've heard about that. Mm-hmm. We've heard about that moment, mm-hmm. but I'm I'm curious what transitioned you into being a believer in this work, and how do our listeners get involved? Yeah, well, I would say skepticism is good, and I I, I encourage skepticism. Healthy skepticism, mm-hmm. not cynicism, but healthy skepticism is mm-hmm. is wise. 
There are so many wonderful things that, that we could be part of in the world. And it takes discernment and reason, not just feelings and heart, to navigate what is it that God has for me. You know, the disciple who took the gospel the farthest was Thomas the Doubter. He took the gospel all the way to the far edges of India. Um, and so I think there's something, there's like a, sli- a slingshot effect that like the, when the skeptic is convinced, they will project the farthest. <laughs> they will take their passion mm-hmm. the farthest. Mm-hmm. And that's my experience. I'm naturally very skeptical. I worked for a ministry when I was in college that that uh, purported to do a lot of wonderful things for children. And I knew as someone on the inside, they weren't doing all the wonderful things that they said. They were doing good things, but not all the things that they said that they did. And that really uh, marked me. It made me very skeptical. So when I went to El Salvador to see Compassion's work, I brought a legal pad with several pages of questions. My wife is, a, is, is an auditor by training, so a professional <laughs> skeptic. So I had a couple of pages with her questions. And I would just encourage people, ask your questions. Ask your questions. The truth is not afraid to be questioned. <laughs> and so ask those mm-hmm. questions. And for me, that was going personally to the, the country office there in El Salvador and, and talking to the accountants and asking my questions. And they said, you know, you can look at any file cabinet that you want. And I said, what about that one way over there on the other side of the room? So I went to the file cabinet, I opened it up, and they said, now that is a cabinet that's full of children's records. So you can pull out a child's records, anyone that you want. And it felt like a magic trick, right? So I, I reached into the deck of records. I pulled out a folder. I opened it up and it happened to be a child sponsored by a friend of mine, Chris Tomlin, who at the time was not how great is our God, Chris Tomlin, but was an independent recording artist from East Texas where I was from. And I knew him and I trusted him. And to see his giving records, to see the letters he had written to his sponsored child in El Salvador and the letters that had gone back, to see his child's medical records, her report cards, to see this relationship between Chris and a child in El Salvador documented the years of relationship, it began to crack through my skepticism. Um, And so I think one lesson I get from that is to ask your questions. Um, We're not afraid of your questions and we want to provide answers, but also to lean on the people that you already trust and know and have credibility in your life. Maybe that's Kurt, maybe that's Pepper, maybe for a very small number of you, it might be me. And to say, hey, look, Mm -hmm. what have you seen? What has your experience Mm -hmm. been? Talk to someone you know who sponsors a child with compassion. Ask, is this real? Is this your experience? And to trust those people uh, and their experience with compassion. And so if you do that and you sense that God is leading you to give to compassion, to sponsor a child with compassion, then you can do that just by going to compassion.com forward slash known compassion.com forward slash known and you can sponsor a child there $43 a month but please don't just give your money give yourself so pray prayers for that Mm -hmm. child write letters to that Mm -hmm. child and so through that uh, through a church in that child's neighborhood they're going to receive education and health care and proper nutrition clean water to drink a bible written in their own language and the opportunity to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. So compassion.com forward slash known when you're ready to make that decision. Thank you so much Sean. You know, yeah. I just echo the fact that when we were on the trip to El Salvador, one of the things that was consistent was the compassion staff wanted us to be skeptics. Mm-hmm. They wanted to, they, they, <laughs> totally. they, if we didn't ask the questions that 
they thought we may have, may have had rumbling around, they brought them up anyway mm-hmm. because they wanted to point out the fact that they want to be transparent, mm-hmm. that um, you can trust compassion, that, mm-hmm. that your money's going to go where they say it's going to go. And then having the opportunity to see in person um, not only what the, what the financial resources, how they were being handled and how, how the, the people were being helped in that way, but then also, as you mentioned, seeing the, the letters that Chris wrote, seeing the impact of those letters on, on the kids was something that was uh, – talk about being surprised by beauty. I mean, I've sponsored mm-hmm. kids, but – and, you know, in full transparency, my wife was the one that would write the letters or we would send something from our kids, you know, to them. And, you know, we pray for Daniel Joseph every single night for 15, 16 <laughs> years. But I didn't realize the impact that those letters – we're actually having, and I won't make that mistake again because that was, I was completely surprised by the beauty of that on the trip. Yeah, Kurt, what was what was the biggest surprise to you actually going and seeing it? What surprised you most about what you saw of Compassion's work there? Well, I, I this this is um, the, the thing that immediately comes to mind. The very first day we went, uh, I, I, and I loved how they over Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. They took us to prod, you know, they took us to um, enterprises that were kind of developmentally progressing. So mothers and babies, and then elementary school kids, and then older kids mm. over mm. those over those three days. And the first day that we were there, we went to um, a place in which the focus of the work was on the enrichment of moms. And in so doing, the enrichment of the mom's lives, they're really helping them take care of their babies more effectively. Mm-hmm. And, the th- and, and this is in one of the survival projects mm-hmm. that, mm-hmm. They, that they have. And the thing that surprised, I mean, the thing that was just startling to me in such a beautiful way was that this is really in the wheelhouse of the work that we do, mm-hmm. This, mm-hmm. this wheelhouse of attachment work. Mm-hmm. And watching how, as these mothers were being loved, and training and teaching the, these mothers how to be attuned mm-hmm. to their little mm-hmm. ones. I was coming out of my shoes <laughs> with excitement because I because in, in the in the work of attachment and neuroscience, all the, all the things that we talk uh-huh. about here on this podcast, I'm not just witnessing what's happening here in the room mm-hmm. that the church is really connected deeply with these moms and their kids. I'm already imagining. Downstream generational changes. Yeah. And, you know, uh, <laughs> it's not uncommon that when people come into our office, uh, they come in in their 40s and 50s and 60s, and they're really broken adults. Mm. And they have teenagers or they have adult children. Mm. And as they discover the healing of their own wounds, you know, at some point the question comes, like, is it too late for me to do anything hmm. about what I did to my kids? Yeah. And we can say to them, not only is it never too late, hmm. but even now the work that you're doing here in your own story is going to change the story between you and your kids, which is going to change the story between your kids and their kids, hmm. even the kids that aren't born yet. And I... Uh, like I, I, I mean, I, Pepper knows this. I, I was like wandering around, like I can't believe what I'm seeing. <laughs> kind of like, uh, 
if, if, if there could be a beautiful form of saying I was walking around in a fog. He really but was. But it, it's like. It, a, a, <laughs> yeah, yeah. We, we walked out of that little room and he just had this look on his face. And then and, and we had, were able to, he was able to then share with me what he had just experienced in there. And yeah, he was really impacted by that. that I remember I remember yeah. seeing the child survival. For for those listening who don't know what child survival is, Compassion discovered years ago by listening to developmental experts that mortality was highest for children before the age of five, and that the way a child is formed before the age of five, as you're saying, Dr. Thompson, has has far-reaching impact on the rest of their lives and in the lives of, of the future generations. So they really wanted to double and triple efforts for children before the age of five, and they called that child survival. So getting as many children to that fifth birthday as possible. So we have church partners that really focus on that um, that piece of it, the very first five years mm-hmm. of a child's life. And I remember seeing in Tanzania, they didn't have, um, they, they couldn't go purchase developmental tools, uh, to- like baby rattles and, and, and mobiles to hang over a crib. And they, so they, they taught these moms how to take banana leaves, which were plentiful and craft these into little dolls and little tools that they could use to engage with their infants. And I remember just seeing these mothers uh, hovering over their babies, all these moms, just picture a room with like a gymnastics mat, the whole floor is like a gymnastics mat, and all these babies laying on their backs and these moms dangling these toys they made from banana leaves and (laughs) bottle caps and coat hanger wire. (laughs) And they're just learning how to make eye contact with their infants and watching their children make eye contact with this doll as it moves from left to right and just them understanding not the science of it but just witnessing oh my child is paying attention my child has curiosity right. i'm developing these functions of their brain it was so beautiful to see how something mm-hmm. so simple turning banana leaves into a doll turning bottle caps mm-hmm. and wire into a baby rattle was going to impact that child's entire life and their ability to connect and communicate and cultivate curiosity in their own children someday. It's incredible. Yeah, Sean, your enthusiasm is awesome. It's contagious. Yeah. And, um, you know, thank you so much for saying yes to that friend of yours for <laughs> the fir- <laughs> when you took that trip. Thank you for allowing God to penetrate your heart with this work that Compassion does. Thank you for the passion with which you speak of Compassion and all the work that you're doing. Um, Thank you for being with us here today. And I know that there are people that are listening today that they want to be surprised by this beauty as well. Mm -hmm. And so we invite you to go to compassion.com forward slash known and just take a look at it. Just take a look. When you go there, you'll see images of the kids in El Salvador. If you have a proclivity for another country that you would like to sponsor someone through, you can you can do that there as well. But since we had boots on the ground in El Salvador, that's why we have these kids there. Some of mm-hmm. these kids we actually probably met there. And so we just want to invite you and encourage you to go there and take a look. Get involved with the work Compassion's doing. You will not regret it for one second. Sean, thank you so much for your time today. Yeah, thank you guys. We are going to now transition into our artistic offering for today. Now, last week, if you were listening, we invited you to be surprised by beauty on your own and discover ways that maybe that you could find yourself 
to to just be paying attention to what your surroundings that you would possibly be surprised. And we would love for you to chat some of those things to us. Let us know how you were surprised by beauty. You can go on the Being Known podcast socials and and just comment there the ways that you were surprised by beauty. One of the things that we offered you were a, f- a handful of photos that I took at a place called Jekyll Island. So my family, about three years in a row, vacationed down near there, but not on Jekyll Island, um, but but very close by. And we took a day trip over with my son and my mother and my, my, my whole family. We're, we were all together, and my son and his girlfriend wanted to take us to see something there. We didn't know what it was going to be, and they were being kind of coy about it, but but just said, you know, it's, we, we just want to take you and show you something. And so we drove over to Jekyll Island. We get out of the car, and um, I remember my son was walking my mom down this sandy path to the beach, and we come around the corner, <laughs> and I was well, well, I was startled. I had that moment of startle. <laughs> I didn't know what <laughs> I was looking at here. Mm-hmm. Um <laughs> So Jekyll Island, the shoreline has eroded to the point that the salt water has gotten into the roots of the trees that were, this was once a forest, right? And so now we have these trees that are, some of them still standing, but they're no longer alive. But there's this contrast of almost looks like petrified wood, right? And then these deep blue skies. We have the images that that I took that day just with my phone, but they're 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 mm. quite beautiful images in the Dude. show notes to take a look at them. Yeah. Dude. Okay, and, and so so here's something else that really struck me about this as I'm thinking about it. It is this mesmerize it's, it's like this echo of this movement from Good Friday to Easter. Mm. That even trees that are dying God is using them as artifacts of beauty. Mm-hmm. Like death, even in this way, is pointing. Even even trees that are dead. Like some of those photos just, you know, were, they're breathtaking. Yeah. And, and, and the, they, the, the scene was breathtaking. I mean, it really yeah. it took my breath away when I walked around the corner. Yeah. Yeah. And there is a sense in which, Really? Something that's dead? That's finding some place in me that is deep and is longing and is that that no longer has words because there's so much beauty in you know in the viewfinder of what I'm what I'm seeing. And I I, I go, you know, you go back to this notion of you know, when you look at the Pieta, like it, it's, it's, you, you can't, you can't, like it's, it's too painful to look at in some respects and not just because of what it represents, but because there's so much beauty in that or like a piece of music or, you know, like when Sean has a child sit, when, you, when you're sitting on, right. your, on your lap. And so right. I, I, I just found it to be a, an amazing experience looking at those photos. Yeah, and there's something about, you know, we talked about this idea of paying attention to what you're paying attention to. I mean, yeah. you know, putting yourself in that path, right? I mean, there's there's part of uh, the responsibility if you're, if you're going to go after beauty is to put yourself in the path, right? Um, as Sean's story, you know, he, he, he said yes, and he, he took the, a long trip, and none of those things would have happened had he not put himself in the path of beauty. It doesn't just right. always, ha- even when you're surprised by it, there's some effort involved, right? Right. 
That's right. Well, like to your, as we've said throughout this podcast series, uh, that fourth W that you added, right? That there's work involved, right. our agency, that God wants, God wants partners. Yeah. God wants partners. I mean, who knows? Uh, I, I think of uh, Tanner's painting, The Annunciation. And it's just this, like, the first time I saw it, I'm like, oh my God, like the shaft of light. Right. And then I'm reminded of C.S. Lewis's space trilogy and this, the Oyarsa, right? These angelic figures that are just this, this shaft of light that like, who knows? Maybe Mary, what if Mary just wasn't going to allow herself to be there? She wasn't going to pay attention to it. She wasn't going to allow herself to be in the path. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. You know, just this morning, I had an opportunity to be surprised by beauty. Mm. Um, mm. Uh, a gift, you know, as we were about maybe 40 minutes before we were going to start recording, Kurt sent Amy and I a text. And Kurt's son, Nathan, Nathan Thompson, released a new single today. And that single is called Call It Love. And mm. just, you know, I didn't know that was coming today. Nathan and I had we had the opportunity to meet to talk with Nathan recently about the process of making the song and and all of that. But the you know hitting play and listening to that and just being hit by the beauty of his voice, of his lyrics, of the music, that was a real gift this morning. That was a real mm-hmm. gift this morning. I I, I yeah. suggest to all of you you know you can find it on I, iTunes. You can find it on Spotify. It's called Call It Love, and his name is Nathan Thompson, and um, it's beautiful music. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure you're very yeah, proud. I am and and you know the uh you know Nathan lives close to us and so you know we'll see him every couple you know once or you know twice a week and uh, when he comes for dinner we we sit down and we talk about the the process that's going through as right. he's progressively you know getting this already and you know he'll he'll say uh, I want you to listen to these couple of extra tracks that it just got laid down. We'll listen to the tracks and and but they're just these independent tracks whether it's percussion or you know guitar or whatever. And dude when I heard the finished product all at once, when you hear the whole thing all at once, it just, yeah, it was, it, it, I, I'm, I'm deeply uh, proud of him and joyful for him and grateful because I, I know that there's a ton of hard work behind all that that he's doing. And I'm just, I'm also grateful this morning that you're even uh, naming it and bringing it up because oh, I, please. it was a joy for me to send that to you, yeah. Amy, and I'm really delighted that that's been a good thing. I had it on repeat this morning the whole time that I was <laughs> preparing. It's just uh, really, really terrific. So, oh, oh, yeah. Great. Well, um, next week, um, you know, every week uh, we are giving you your little assignments uh, to put yourself in the path of oncoming beauty and would love for you to spend some time this week. So next week we're doing something a little bit different, and that is we're going to be looking at the beauty of meditation and contemplation and reflection. And we want to give you some great tools for this. And if you go to kurtthompsonmd.com forward slash reflections, or you can just go to kurtthompsonmd.com and at the top of the page, you can click on reflections. So what's going to happen when you click on that is it's going to open up a page and there'll be a prompt. And that prompt is simply, how are you feeling today? And you'll click how you're feeling and then it will lead you. And you'll be able to have, you'll have a lot of choices for how you can spend some time in contemplation and reflection. 
I think it's a great doorway into this kind of work because a lot of the work has been done for you. Not that not all of it. You'll have to actually follow through with this. But there are choices of listening or experiencing uh, visuals or reading. And there's different, you know, depending on how you learn, how you like to spend your time, you can try some different things. Uh, I think it'll be a great resource for you beyond this week. But we really want you to be involved in this this week. And then we're going to come back and talk about this as our artistic offering next week and why we chose meditation and reflection for that offering. Yeah, thanks so much, Pep. I think that uh, for our audience listeners, it is uh, an opportunity for us to do the work of attunement, do the work of paying attention and then reflecting on how does my paying attention to these particular things actually enable me to be even more prepared and open and available to beauty when it finds me in the course of my day-to-day life. I love that. Thank you. This has been a great day. Thank you, Sean. Thank you, Thanks, Kurt. Thanks, Sean. Yeah. Thank you, yeah. bud. This is Thank beautiful. You. Right on. Thanks so much. Till next time. Next time. This podcast is produced by Kurt Thompson, Pepper Sweeney, and myself, Amy Chella. Audio production and editing is by Keaton Simons. Video production and editing is by Mark Gould. Speaking of videos, each week we post the video version of every episode to our YouTube channel. You can find us on YouTube by going to youtube.com or your app and searching Being Known Podcast. If you'd like to connect with us, you can find us on social media at Being Known Pod. If you like this podcast, tell a friend. Tell all of your friends. And please like, rate, and review. Be well, be known.